it's not nice to laugh at someone who's not all there. It's the same type of freak show distraction that comes along every time a mighty empire starts collapsing. American Superstars is the new Coliseum. And I won't participate in watching a show where the weak are torn apart every week for our entertainment. I saw a woman throw a used tampon at another woman last night on network television, a network that bills itself as today's woman's channel. I'm sure the girls from Two Girls, One Cup are gonna have their own dating show on VH1 any day now. I, I mean, why have a civilization anymore if we no longer are interested in being civilized? Welcome to Narratively Speaking, the podcast that explores the power of story in all its forms, its role in society, and how it helps to shape the ideas we think we believe in. I'm your very much work in progress host, Harv, still work in progress, and I hope you're having a great day. I'm having an okay day, I guess. Um, still trying to record this podcast in my new studio, which is also my living room. Uh, not as private as it used to be, so if I sound like I'm holding back, uh, I probably am. I probably am. I feel like people can hear me too much, which is funny because it is the point of a podcast, isn't it, for people to hear you, and I suppose uh, that makes me a bit of a dickhead, but, uh, you know, we'll forge ahead. So today we're going to be covering a topic that, uh, you know, I've had this one kind of on the back burner for a while, to be honest. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a concept that kind of shaped the way I think in a lot of ways um, and something that I'm really interested in, but I haven't had uh, the confidence to tackle it because, uh, you know what, I'm not an expert in anything that we're going to talk about in this episode. Uh but the more episodes I make, the more I realize that that can't be a problem because I haven't been an expert in anything that we've talked about. So I finally got around to this one and, uh, you know, we're going to be talking about civilization. Just a little topic, nothing too uh, lofty, just all of civilization. Um, and I'm going to talk about it as if I know something or have some kind of, uh, you know, worthwhile thought about it. So this should be, uh, you know, really fun and uh, it'll be educational, but only in the sense uh, that you'll learn how poor my education on this topic is. So we open this episode with a clip from the film God Bless America. And as I've said before, I do like to leave the clips a little bit mysterious, but in this case, it's actually the impetus of the entire episode. So I kind of have to mention it. Um, I highly recommend watching the entire movie because it is utterly brilliant. Uh, Bobcat Goldthwaite, who played like Animal in the Police Academy films. So you wouldn't know that he's actually an accomplished director and writer. However, he is. Just shows us hope for anyone. Um, even, even me. Maybe. So in that clip, um, the main character, Frank, is makes, he makes a comparison between the Roman Empire and the Colosseum and the kind of entertainment that we have on TV today with reality television, YouTube, um, celebrity culture, and all those kinds of things. And as soon as I heard it, it just sort of clicked with me. There was something in that comparison 
that seemed very, very truthful and very uh, pertinent. But that one little rant, that one little uh, monologue, if you will, was the key to it all for me. And I think the movie's trying to do, you know, more commentary on celebrity and those kinds of things, you know, the vacuousness of entertainment. However, to me, this comparison between the Coliseum and and reality television just brought like the present day into this tight focus that I hadn't had before. And I started wondering, am I participating in an empire right now, like the Roman Empire? And the more I sort of went down that rabbit hole, the more I realized, uh, you know, all the markers are there. And this wasn't an original thought of mine. All you have to do is Google like the US empire and you'll find there's a lot of thinkers who are talking about this kind of thing. You make uh, quite shocking claims in this book uh, saying that the world is witnessing the fall of the US empire. How so? Nothing original about that. It witnessed the fall of the English Empire, the British, if you will, the French, and the Soviet Empire. I predicted the fall of the Soviet Empire in about 10 years' time, in 1980, and it fell on time. So in year 2000, I made a prediction of 2025 for the US Empire, but then George W. Bush was elected president, and I saw him as an accelerator of the process. So he was. 2020. The feeling that you have to be obligated to make up to now 243 military interventions around the world, which is a little bit much since Thomas Jefferson started, that you have to twist arms for political reasons, that you have to have bases everywhere, and of course it costs an enormous amount of money in spite of the comfort that you think you have a divine mandate to kill. A divine mandate to kill? Uh, yeah, that's one way to put it. That's Johan Gultung there. And uh, he's got such a nice way about him, though. He says these, uh, you know, very uh, shocking statements. But as, as sort of like a, a jovial <laughs> old gentleman type, it's, it's quite interesting. He's, he's kind of like, uh, no matter what he says or how absolutely terrifying what he says is, uh, he's completely non-threatening no matter what. Um, but yeah, talking about um, the US's perceived obligation to be the policeman of the world there, and I think that's something that's uh, very prevalent in in you know the public consciousness at the moment. it's it's a story we tell ourselves that we know doesn't really make sense. Uh, you know it the, the logic doesn't hold up. it never has. But you can't have a civilization, you know, without a good narrative. So that's the one we have at the moment. Um, but it's just like the logic of all war, really, isn't it? All violence. The logic never holds up. And uh, inherently, we know that peaceful solutions are always the way to go. I mean, anytime anyone comes to you and tells you those people are violent, so we have to bomb them, you know, you should probably really analyze what they're saying there because uh that's that's kind of dumb as dumb as shit but the problem is people buy into the story and then they just have to keep doubling down on it because uh such horrors have been committed in the uh the name of that story that it's unthinkable to look at it in retrospect and say oops that was a that was a mistake um, can we get our like million Iraqis back, please? Uh, just, you know, bring them back to life. <laughs>
Oh, death is permanent. Shit. Um, policeman of the world. So where were this late stage of capitalism, which the Trump administration is accelerating, it's part of a pattern. Uh, tell us where we are. Well, we're at a point that your numbers verify in which the capitalist system, which has been the growing dominant system for the last 300 years, wanted to present itself in contradiction to feudalism and slavery as the system that creates a massive middle class that lifts everybody up. And what we have, now that it has become the global system, is the exact opposite. It has reproduced the kinds of grotesque uh, inequalities that we associate with everything from the Versailles palace of the late Louis back to the pharaohs of ancient Egypt. It is a stunning expose of an economic system that couldn't deliver what it promised and now wants to distract everybody from this harsh reality that you pointed to. So that's Richard Wolff talking to RT and... Hmm, so capitalism told us a story and we built an entire civilization around it, an empire, more to the point, and it turns out the story isn't really true. You know, I think I'm starting to see a bit of a pattern here. It's interesting how he anthropomorphizes capitalism in that little uh, speech as well. It's, it's really interesting because, again, it's almost like he's afraid to assign blame or, or criticize the establishment, the powers that be, or even the people who are listening. Because let's face it, as I said at the start of the episode, we're all participating in this empire. So um, there has to be an element of blame that rests on our shoulders as well. But he's not going to say that, is he? Because uh, you don't get very far when you try to tell someone something and then uh, as a caveat at the end, let them know they're actually an asshole. So you can see why you might leave that bit out. So lucky for us, um, there's been a lot of people think about this type of stuff in the past and uh, they've defined the stages of empire. Now, it's anywhere between five and I think eight stages. So I'm going to try and boil it down quickly so that we can have a look and see if we are in an empire, if we can define what stage of the empire we're in. And I think when I describe the stages, it'll become pretty bloody obvious what stage of empire we're in. Uh, so the first stage is pioneering. So that's obviously exploration. Uh, pretty non-invasive, pretty nice. Just getting curious at this point. Hey, what, what's, uh, what's outside these walls? What's, what's beyond the sea there? Um, can things float? Can we, uh, can we travel to other lands? You know, um, pretty innocuous stuff. I don't think anyone would mind an empire at this point. They'd be like, yeah, go out, have a look, have a poke around. You'll be fine. There's no way this will go bad. Stage two, conquest, of course. And this is where you find other lands to explore and realize that there are other people already there. So you just murder them all, basically just completely genocide anything that you see. And uh, expand and expand and expand because, you know, why not? You can't stay the same size. You know, that's out of the question. So just keep expanding. And the conquest part of the stage of empire, you could actually argue 
that's the stage that we're in because it never really ended, did it? If, if you really look at what we're doing around the world. And when I say we, I guess I mean the West, you know, the Western empire. I don't call it the US empire. I don't think that's really fair. Um, they have the, you know, the US is where the military's centralized and all that, but, but really we're all complicit. It's, it's an alliance. It's, uh, you know, I don't want to say white people, but um, kind of we started it all, didn't we? The white people. Um, some pretty nasty stuff that goes back to the British Empire, I suppose, and then somehow became this other thing. Now we're saying the British Empire is over, but it doesn't really feel all that different from the British Empire, does it? I don't know. Anyway, stage three is commerce. And again, you know, commerce is in a lot of ways, a good thing. It allows a society to expand and specialize and become more efficient. And uh, it leads to the fourth stage, which is affluence. Because everybody gets rich when you have commerce, right? You have a money supply of some kind, some kind of currency. Uh, You have a central authority that can expand that out as much as you want and make everyone think that they've actually got money when they don't. Um, So the affluence, although it's an illusion, if everybody believes in it, if everybody's accepting each other's currency, whatever that may be, gold or paper notes or whatever, then the currency works. The faith is the thing that holds it together. The story is the thing that holds it together. See how much story there is in all of this. That's why I wanted to take this step back, you know, because it's so big, the topic. But it's still held together by these tiny narratives, these little digs, these subtle beliefs in story that we have. And these stories, they're just, they're so subtle that we don't even really recognize them as stories. We don't see that they control the way we behave, but they do. And after affluence, you get uh, intellect. Um, I think the Western Empire might have skipped this one. Um, We forgot to actually get smarter. I think in a lot of ways we may have got dumber. And I don't know, maybe that's in some ways deliberate. They say that the conspiratorial elites are always trying to dumb down the population. Well, maybe that's something that's been learned from history, that the stage of intellect is actually detrimental to the oligarchs and elites that control the civilization, that perpetuate the empire for their own gain. And let's just cover this last stage of empire, shall we? It's called decadence, and it's the stage of empire in uh, that the original clip from God Bless America refers to, um, I think. You know, the, the bread and circuses of the Roman Empire, the Colosseum. Um, let them eat bread, I believe is the, the phrase, or something like that. Um, or maybe it was cake. I don't know. Like, if you just gave me a loaf of bread, I wouldn't be that excited. But cake, you know, that gets me going. So let's just go with let them eat cake. But the idea being you give the people something that they like, an indulgence, and uh, that will distract them from the fact that you're controlling their lives, stealing all the wealth, controlling all the resources, and usually by this stage driving everything into the ground. So, um, yeah, stages of empire there. Pioneering, conquest, commerce, affluence, intellect, and then decadence. Now, the decadence phase is, in a lot of descriptions, not followed by anything, but it does logically lead to what is 
you know, sometimes referred to as a phase of empire, which is decline and collapse. So the decadence, once that comes in, you can pretty much assume the next step is decline. So, um, you know, it's something we should probably take notice of, don't you think? But yeah, if we are in an empire, if you believe that, then I think it's pretty clear we're at the end of it. And if you look throughout history, empires typically last between 200 and 300 years. And it's hard to know when to start counting the empire that we're in now. But yeah, it's around a couple of hundred years, isn't it? I mean, no matter how you look at it, you know, we're not going to be celebrating the 300th year at this point, are we? Um, So it's pretty clear that this Western empire is... In decline, and if if you want any sort of indication of that, just turn on the TV and have a look. You know, you've got um, people being ridiculed, you've got cruelty, people putting themselves in danger for your entertainment. You've got pranks on YouTube that uh, that that can be pretty nasty. Not Impractical Jokers, though. Impractical Jokers, they make fun of themselves. So good on them, I say. And I've got to say, it all kind of reminds me of that final scene of The Matrix Reloaded. That was the second one, the one everyone hated. Um, And that scene in particular was very heavily criticized. But from the perspective of Empire, it's really interesting because the architect talks about building society, or in his case, The Matrix, and then deliberately tearing it down and starting again. And I do wonder whether that is how empires work too, that not only are they built up with a knowledge of history, but they are also destroyed or allowed to collapse with the knowledge that such a collapse is actually inevitable. You know, kind of like a controlled demolition or whatever. They, they know they can't sustain it. So they take all the wealth, uh, they protect themselves, and then they let it collapse. And it certainly looks like that might be happening in Western society now. And the baton is somewhat being passed perhaps to China um, or the Middle East or something like that. And I think if there is any kind of secret knowledge that gets passed down from, you know, by the elites through the ages, I think it's going to be more practical than the type of secret knowledge that you hear about, you know, when you look into the Freemasons and whatever. And it'll be more like, here's how an empire works and here's how to identify the stages and here's how to control the masses when you need to. Uh, I think that's the sort of secret knowledge that you would find that the elites know that the average person just never gets exposed to because we don't even sit around thinking about this stuff. We we don't care about taking over entire regions or conquering, you know, an indigenous race or, you know, we just we just want to live our lives. But let's talk about our complicity in this because essentially I think the engine of empire is that complacency that I'm talking about. We just want to live our lives. We just want to be left alone. But in not taking action and in wanting to be shielded from the greater issues that face the entire civilization, I think we do ourselves a disservice and we allow the more dominant people to take over and make all the choices for us. I mean, you hear people all the time saying, uh, oh, careful, we're going to become Nazi Germany. You know, like the Germans weren't bad people, but they were complacent and that's how Hitler rose to power. But aren't we being complacent all the time? And why are we so complacent? Um, I, I think one of the main causes of this is 
consumerism. You know, we can buy whatever we want. I can have my big TV. I can have my iPad and I can be blinded to the cost. So why would I do anything to upset this fantastic deal that I've got? Even if I do know in the back of my mind somehow that there is evil going on in the world to make it possible, as long as I don't have to hear about it, why would I do anything to get rid of my big TV? Look how big that TV is, you know? And I suppose that does paint a pretty grim picture of humanity. Uh, but that's not really how I think of things. I, I, I think we act according to the stories that we're told. And we're told this capitalist story. We're told that democracy and capitalism are the pillars of modern society, that they're the things that made all of this possible. And uh, yeah, that seems pretty reasonable, right? I mean, where would we have gotten without democracy? Where would we have gotten without capitalism? Without capital, we couldn't have built all of these things, these cities, these houses, this infrastructure, and all of these consumer goods that we're so preoccupied with. None of these things would have been possible without expanding the capital base beyond what the natural resources supported. And when you think about it, that's the main thing that we've been applying our intellect to as a species, storing resources. Because if you can store resources, then you can move them around. You can accumulate wealth. This is something that the natural world does not encourage or tolerate. Foods expire. Every flower comes into bloom and then ends up as dirt. And that's the fundamental natural law of the universe. That's why we see these patterns everywhere. And not so surprisingly, in the rise and fall of civilizations and empires in human society, it's because we're flouting the rules. We're finding these workarounds, these nifty little tricks where we can, uh, we can make ourselves rich and sit on a whole bunch of resources that are supposed to be released into the wild and distributed by nature. So capitalism and consumerism at their very core are based around the circumvention of natural law. And while you're circumventing natural law, you can do it for a while, but eventually it'll catch up with you. And I think that's what happens. That's why we get these rises and falls and undulating patterns of uh, energy just moving around the planet because essentially um, the universe wants to maintain its order and it doesn't really want George Soros to have billions and billions of dollars or trillions or whatever the fuck he's got, who knows. And think about it in practical terms. What actually happens when we're born into this suburban life that we have? We're born helpless. We are taught by our parents so if they've learned no uh, survival skills, they'll teach us none. And we go out into this world that's just covered in cement and asphalt. We have no access to the natural resources on which we rely. There's no dirt anymore. And if there is, it's at the park or in the backyard. It's recreational dirt. We don't grow anything there. I mean, when I was a kid, I had a lemon tree. I think Shakespeare was the one who said, man can't live on just lemons alone. 
he may not have said that. Um, and if he did, he probably said it with flowery language. But the point is, I don't know how to grow a carrot. I only know how to fucking buy one. And if I did want to grow a carrot, I don't have any dirt to grow it in. And I think it was Karl Marx who, who uh, talked about the means of production. That's essentially what we're talking about here, the means of production. But the planet is desperately trying to give us that stuff for free. And the only way that we can stop the damn planet from doing that is by cementing it all up and cutting down all the trees and putting everything in cans and sacks and plastic containers, freezing it all, packing it with preservatives and keeping it in some warehouse somewhere and denying people access to the things that the planet wants to give us for free. And yes, maybe that's all a little bit overdramatic. Uh, I don't know. But I think that's why I feel so trapped all the time, because I'm in this cement prison, and as much as my TV is big and high def and HDR and whatever other acronym they apply to it, I'll never be free here. Even if I can see the intricate details of Kevin Spacey's pubes poking out of his shorts, as I watch House of Cards. And Kevin Spacey doesn't wear shorts, and that metaphor makes absolutely no sense. So, and I'm sure he shaves his pubes, you know, these Hollywood types. Just assuming they would shave. So, thanks for coming on this little journey with me. I hope you're uplifted and, uh, you know, feeling optimistic because... We're at the end of society and civilization is collapsing. So, you know, that's something to look forward to, isn't it? Um, yeah, you're, uh, you're welcome. You're very welcome. And maybe I'm a bit weird because I always tell people I'd really like to see this happen in my lifetime. You know, life's a magical, amazing thing, but um, watching it all collapse would be way more entertaining than when it's going well. And it's worth noting that empires are kind of like a, you know, they're a retrospective judgment of history. You know, you don't have people sitting around going, hey, maybe it's time we started an empire. That might be really cool. Let's start an empire. Now we're in an empire. Hey, hey our empire's starting to collapse. You only really talk about it in retrospect. So... This idea that we're in an empire now, we'll never really know until we see how the history books judge the period of time that we're living in. We need to wait for someone to write the book before we can find out how the story ends. But I think that's essentially why I'd like to see it happen during my lifetime. Because if I don't, then I'll never know how the story ends. And how would I ever get my narrative closure? if I don't get the end of the story. But if you've been listening to the podcast, you'll know I don't believe collapse is inevitable. I think this phase of civilization has created enough technology and knowledge and, yes, wealth, that we could actually change track from this normal cycle of empire and create something new, something that hasn't been done before, something that history hasn't seen. And isn't that ultimately what that end scene of The Matrix Reloaded is about? 
It's about Neo making a choice that none of his predecessors have made before. And is that what the Wachowskis were trying to get across, that we need to make a different choice? And this is what I would love to be a part of. This is what I want to think about. This is the story that I want to tell. I don't know if it's naive. I know it's considered uh, kind of idealistic. But is idealistic really a bad thing? Is it uh, something to be avoided? I I don't know. I don't think so. I don't see it as a bad thing. Um, in fact, optimism these days is a, a real rarity. I think optimism is going to be the new edge. Uh, because we do live in an age of really extreme pessimism. And I can't be the only person in the world who wants to see that turn around. So when we look at the end of this story, you know, let's not assume it's going to be a horror movie ending where the cycle just starts again. It doesn't need to be the end of the Matrix Reloaded where we essentially meet God and he tells us, try again. Let's try now. Let's see what we could create. And maybe there's a chance we can end this story with hope.